All right, everybody, welcome back to Dakar Rally Daily. I'm Jesse Ziegler. And I'm Quinn Cody. And um, the marathon stage is done, and it threw us all for a loop. Um, here's, here's how it shook out. Stage eight, overall stage finishers. Nacho Cornejo takes the overall for Honda. Toby Price comes in second on the KTM. Ricky Brabrek third on a Honda. Quinn, how did that happen? Yeah, it, it's definitely, we've seen a shift in the race now. I, I think the big news then, we kind of missed it yesterday. We did a we did a little bit of an early show, and um, it wasn't until a little bit later that we saw Toby Price had a massive gash in his rear tire. It was catastrophic looking. Like you could stick four fingers through this gash. Dude, it this was, thing was a, like almost the tire was torn in half. Yeah. It was a quarter of the tire had a hole in it. So... Toby patched the thing up, zip ties, duct tape around the around the tire, somehow managed to get this thing to the finish of the stage and not only get to the finish of the stage, but finish second on the day. Second overall. Um, I don't know how the tire stayed on the rim. I don't know how the moose didn't disintegrate. Um, I don't know how a zip tie can hold the tire for boy, uh, 375 kilometers and at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. So they have, they have these big heavy duty zip ties and, and usually any racer carries them in their, in their tool bag, because for exactly that reason, you can, you can strap a tire onto the rim if you need to. Um, but at, at that kind of speed, it was a 74 mile an hour average speed. So 119 kilometers per hour for the stage. That was the lead time. Um, and I would assume that, I mean, okay, the tires, these tires are tough, but I would assume that the moose would melt down. Cause what happens when you get a gash in the tire like that is all the lube from inside the, inside the tire flies out immediately. Yeah. Centrifugal then, force. It just sprays all over the fender and yep. The sprays everywhere. And the lube is the key component to making that moose and tire system last, right? Well, yeah, it's just there's so much friction between the tire and the moose and the rim inside there that the tire, the moose starts to break down and yeah. it shrinks. And then once it shrinks, then it basically, in the end, it just turns to sand or dust in there. Just disintegrates. There's no, there's no pressure to hold the tire onto the rim, onto yeah. the beads. So then the tire eventually pops off of the, pops off the rim yep. and you're, you're stuck. You're riding like Andrew Short through the sand dunes last year on a bare rim. And yep. that's not going to get you second in the stage. This let's remind everybody. This is the uh, not that uncommon in rally to have a tire failure, but this year it's just a catastrophic um, situation because of tire rules and um, penalties that go with the tire rule. Well, yeah, and then also it's a marathon stage, so right. there's no assistance truck there, so they can't yeah. change a tire. Even if they did have a tire to put on, if it was a normal stage, they would have just put another tire on and thrown that one in the trash. Yep. But being a marathon stage. They're not allowed to switch tires with another competitor and they're not allowed outside assistance. So the only option Toby had was to go for it right. or to wait for the next rider in line who would be maybe Matthias Wachner and swap and swap wheels. Then both of them would take a 15 minute penalty and effectively you have that time that you lose doing the wheel swap yep. the time you lose waiting for matthias who started five or six seven positions behind him so mm -hmm. that's probably 15 minutes so best case scenario you lose 30 minutes and that's not feasible so you're weighing that if you're toby price and you're 
rolling into the marathon stage last night with no assistance and you see this hole in your tire, you, you wing it together. He said it himself. He's a, he's now a Bush mechanic and, uh, you strap it together the best you can. And then you have to make a strategic decision with your team and your teammates. I'm going to go. I hope it works out. If it doesn't, I'm going to need a wheel and we're all going to lose time because of it. But am I going to be in contention in the end? I don't know. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of what I expected Toby to do was just to, just to go for it and Weird. see what happens, you know, and then deal with it, deal with it down the road. If it, if it holds together, then great. He looks like a hero. And if it comes off, well, came off. He looks like a hero for sure. He came out strong. He led most, a lot of the stage putting yep. down fast pace, um, chasing, so, chasing the, the American and, uh, Nacho. Yeah, the Chilean around on those Hondas. Still a lot of controversy around this tire rule. Um, yeah, you know, limiting the riders to six tires, not allowing allowing them to change wheels within the bivouacs. It you can look at it in a different way. You can look at it. Okay, these guys need to conserve. They know. They all know it's a marathon stage. They're expected to conserve their tire, right? But nobody's conserving anything. Toby so, won on a tire with a hole in it today. I mean, well, he, he didn't win, but he was super close. He was really close, but it didn't slow him down. And the tire rule is intended to slow people down, essentially. Right. And so it's not working. They're doing this for the safety reasons. You Which, have the ASO, the FIM yep. in charge of trying to keep these riders safe. But yeah. you have Toby Price, top rider in the rally, rolling up to the start of a race with a four inch gash in the side of his tire and they're okay with that yeah i don't know an organization in the world that would let you roll up to the start of starting line of a race with a gash in the side of your tire and race that race you wouldn't make it through any kind of technical inspection scrutineering so it's a what is the aso doing with this yeah it's hypocritical uh, on that side of the things a little bit yeah but i you know it makes for good drama. Good Man, TV. Yeah. Good TV. Good uh stressful night sleeping for any of you fans that, you know, were watching that yesterday unfold as he's, you know, zip tying and duct taping his tire together. And I woke up super early just to see if he was out of the race. Yeah. I expected something. I when I woke up and saw Toby Price in second, that's not what I expected to see. No, I thought maybe a penalty wasn't applied yet or something else happened and a rule change happened or I was, I was just like, well, this has to be interesting, but it just turns out it's just Toby price being a badass. Yeah. I mean, same guy who and luck. won the Dakar with a broken wrist. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. He uh, did win the Dakar with a broken wrist two years ago. Um, amazing race uh, still unfolding, but a massive shift today. We saw, we saw the shift we've been looking for in these swings and we think we saw it today with like the dominant lead out performance, right? Yeah, they, you know, very impressive. Ricky Brabeck starting the stage in first, leading out, yep, and carrying an incredible pace. Um, his teammate Nacho Cornejo, who started the stage in second, actually winning the stage overall. So you have the top, the first two guys to start the stage come in in the top three positions, finishing first and third. Um, and that's something we have not seen in this rally. Yep. You know, we've, we, we've been watching these giant time swings and if that was to continue, you would expect, uh, Beretta and Benavides to, to be winning the stage today, but 
it worked out almost exactly the opposite of that. Yeah, it's really the first time we've seen um, somebody like Beretta who started uh, the day behind a little bit not be able to make up that time and win. And on the flip side, the guys that led didn't lose that much time. So really the race is squaring up, it looks like, for the next you know four days. Yeah, I mean, the guys that led didn't lose really any time at all. Ricky no. lost a little bit of time to his teammate, but yeah, he lost none to to um you know Benavides and Sunderland and Beretta and all those guys. Yeah, true. And the more important thing is Nacho Conejo lost no time to Toby Price. No, he actually put a minute on him because yep. he was only leading by a second yesterday. So the tightest margin of first and second place you could have essentially and Nacho took advantage of an unfavorable position necessarily to make up a lot of time and clocked a minute on Toby Price. Yeah. Very, very impressive. While Toby was not laying up because of his tire, he was pinning it. No, I mean... He was probably being conservative about what he was hitting, but it wasn't conservative with his right hand on the throttle. I mean, he he, he said in his interview he tried to not get on the gas too hard and to, uh, you know, not be aggressive on the, on the rear tire, but I don't know how you can... Maybe he just put the gas on all the way at the beginning and didn't move it just and coasted, just left it on. Just coasted the rest of the way. Yeah, at full throttle, but yeah. he didn't constantly twist the throttle hard he just left it on all the way yeah that <laughs> that sounds like what his approach is yeah i i mean i could see toby doing something like that he just cruise control just zip tie that thing all the way to the stop i don't think he had any zip ties less left i think he used them all on his tire <laughs> Jeez, it was really fun to watch uh Beretta allegedly had a, a tire issue as well um which could have kept him back but we're not sure on that just yet yeah, I mean, Beretta, again, doesn't seem like the kind of guy who is going to conserve because of a tire issue. Yeah. So, and I don't think it could have been any worse than what to- Toby Price was dealing with. No, it was all over the all over the internet yesterday watching that stuff. Bananas. Yeah, so then the other thing, um, Daniel Sanders. Yep. Solid finish in seventh. Right. Um, he sounded like he was dealing with some some pain from a crash that he had yesterday where he smacked his face on the tower, had to get some stitches. Yeah. Um, but still, you know, the rookie is hanging in there. You know, he only, he only lost a bit of time today and he's still doing pretty well in the, in the general sitting in, sitting in eighth overall. Yeah. It's fun watching him out there for sure. Um, I think our consistent player is still, doing the master game here and that's Sam Sunderland. Uh, we've talked about him being right there where he needs to be every day. And you did some math over the, over the evening with your theory that if you finish fourth place overall, every stage of the Dakar, you will definitely win. And I want to see how that plays out now. What's your math look like? Yeah. So after our discussion with Andrew short and we, we talked about starting position and time loss, time gain, things yeah. like that. Um, I went ahead and busted out my spreadsheet and did some numbers last night. So if, if you were to have a fourth place finish every single day from the start of the rally till yesterday, first day of the marathon, yep, you would be leading the rally by four, over 40 minutes. That's insane. That's a massive shift into what the reality of this race has been. Right. But the problem has been you can't start fourth and finish fourth. There's no way. It just, yeah. you know, I, I looked at where the fourth place finisher 
for where the fourth place finisher actually finished the following day. And that was and normally every single guy that finished fourth place during the first three to four days was out of the top 10 the next day. Yeah. And we didn't see that start to shift until after the fourth day when Sam Sunderland started finishing above seventh, seventh, sixth place. So what, what changed? Like, why are these guys tightening up? Um, why is, why did the pendulums shift? They're not going any slower. The navigation isn't slowing down the front guys. If, if anything, they're getting better at it. So how, how has the timing of these days shifted? Because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me sometimes. Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of a, of a few things. First off, the, the road book, the guys are starting to get in tune with the road books. They're, they're kind of cracking the code, so to speak. So right. they're, they're understanding what the roadbook builder means by what he's saying in the roadbook. Okay. So Basically, they're, they're getting better at the navigation. They're speaking his language and they're saying, hey, I know, I know what this guy means by this mark. Exactly. And okay. then the other thing is terrain. Yeah. We're, we're getting out of the fast, sandy valleys and it's starting to get into, it's still fast, but it's starting to get a little bit more rocky, a little more dusty. Okay. And then the third thing is just less, less guys in contention. Okay. So general fatigue guys going out of the race. So you're not seeing these massive, um, get starting gaps. Okay. I gotcha. What I, what I mean by that is you're not seeing, it's hard to explain. There's not as many guys in the mix. Gotcha. So example of, you know, John Beretta. Yep. If he lost 15 minutes, you know, he would have been starting in 30th place the first couple of days to where, you yep. know, to today, maybe he would only start in 15th place. Gotcha. So less guys in the mix. Yep. I see. Guys are starting to fatigue. They're, you know, managing injuries. There's mechanicals going bikes. out. Yeah, yeah. We're just losing top guys just gotcha. kind of in general. There's less available time every day and the guys are getting better at keeping the time that they normally would have left on the table or given up. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Um, we got to give a shout out to Nacho. Um, he's been called out a couple times by the top contenders about how great of a navigator he is at leading and showing impressive speed. And today, today he did it again. You know, he was, he wasn't in the lead lead, but he, uh, did not lose any time. He crushed it today. Yeah. I mean, Really, really incredible. Uh, sounds like he, you know, caught Ricky Brayback uh, partway through the stage and then just kind of rode together with Ricky. And they, sounds like Ricky kind of opened the stage all day, but yep. Nacho, it was Ricky who held fast enough pace to help his teammate and bring his teammate in to the win. Let's hear from Nacho. Let's hear, what, let's hear how his stage went down. Second uh, behind Ricky, uh, my teammate. And well, he was pushing super hard in the beginning. I was pushing a lot and didn't cut him. I cut him maybe just a little bit before refueling. And I think uh, we were in a very good speed today. Uh, no navigation mistakes. Trying to, there were some tricky parts that uh, we could find a way or, or didn't make any mistake. And, and there you win a lot of time. And the second part, yeah, we come switching a little bit for who was opening. But it was a, a nice stage, pretty fast. But in the end, some very nice landscapes. These huge rock mountains are just amazing. So I'm happy to be riding here. Four days to go. So what, what the plan? Four days to go. The plan is, well, same as now. Try to ride as fast as we can. Don't get lost. Don't crash. And take care of the bike. So 
Uh, I think if we keep the same focus that I've been bringing uh, on, on this race or these last couple of days, I can do pretty good. So, yeah, we're, we're very focused. Now it's time to rest and to think on tomorrow's stage. Very cool hearing from Nacho about strategy again. I've been trying to strategize the crap out of this race, and um, he's on the same program he has been from the beginning. Pin it. Don't lose time. And Andrew Short confirmed that yesterday with his interview. He was really concise that it's going to come down to stage 11. And these guys are all racing for time now. And stage 11 is the one you're going to have to win if you want to win this rally. Yeah, so it's getting close enough to stage 11 now that we can start to strategize. We're a little too far out the last week or so, but yep. stage 11 is a 511-kilometer special. So massive, massive stage. They almost start racing out of the pits. There's a 40-some kilometer liaison all day, but it's going to be short um, short transfer and a lot of racing. Yeah, and like Andrew said, this is going to be the decisive stage. So if we look at how it's setting up now, stage eight, we have Nacho Conejo one. So he's going out first in stage nine. Yep. So he'll lose a little bit of time possibly in stage nine. Yep. Um, Then stage 10, he's going to have the opportunity to make up time. But does he want to, I don't think anyone wants to win stage 10. Yeah. So we're talking about stage 11 being the one that you want to focus on, set yourself up for time gained there overall. But stage 10 is the one where you, you maybe you don't you don't want to win that one because you don't want to lead stage 11 necessarily yeah. unless I, you're Nacho and you're just leading and winning or almost winning and not losing time in front, which is very remarkable. I mean, someone has to win stage 10. It's just a matter of <laughs> who I don't think any of these guys want to win. So they're all going to be looking to stage 10 as a day when they can hold up and hope for best starting position on stage 11. But how much you don't want to give time up to anybody. No, you can't, you know, what if, what if a guy trips everybody up and decides to just go all out and make up massive time on stage 10? Um, what if, what if the navigation is really difficult on stage 10 and we see a huge gap there, then, you know, you can't hold up too much. One thing we haven't seen is a navigation created massive time gap. Really? The time gaps have been, there's been a couple errors for one or two guys, but it hasn't really cracked the whole field with navigation. It's made it easy for guys in the 15th and 20th place to just catch up to the leaders, but it hasn't like fractured everybody, right? Yeah, generally. So the top four or five guys, usually the first guy will get to a tricky spot in the road book and then the next two or three guys will bunch up all together and then they'll figure it out and move on. And then yeah. at that point, they're losing several minutes to the guys that are riding from the back. Yeah. Fewer tracks in front of you now, though, if you're a contender, because you're starting in seventh place instead of 15th. So yep, if, there's, if there's five wrong tracks, you're going to lose some time as well. Yeah, so now basically we have all of our contenders are starting within the top 10. So anyone who has the who has the opportunity to win the overall in this race, the general classification is is starting in the top 10. Definitely. So it's it's tightened up. Yeah, and I would say it's probably even closer to top 7. I don't know. Do you think it's possible to make up 20 minutes and still win this race? I think it is, it is possible. Um, you know, again, anything can happen. There's still a lot of kilometers to ride and you know, it's, 
it's tough terrain. There's long stages and navigation is not going to be easy. Yeah. So if you go down to seventh place in the standings, that's Skylar Howes. He's nineteen twenty out. Um, the Ricky's just right in front of him, 17 minutes out. Um, Ricky's been pushing that 20 minute gap for quite a few days now. So maybe we should hear from him, see how his race went down and you know what he thinks going I, forward. I think so. It'd be great to hear from Ricky. We got a sound clip from Ricky. Today, um, you know, was the second part of marathon. Um, we did good today. We did good yesterday. Uh, you know, we opened the whole entire stage today. Nacho had caught me around uh, refueling, which was kilometer 224 or 229. And uh, the second part of the special was 115 Ks. Uh, Nacho and I kind of just rode together and worked it out and, uh, you know, just did teamwork and we went really fast. Uh, yesterday we did good. Uh, today I was kind of scared that we had to open, but, um, you know, we, we rode well today and uh, kind of kicking myself in the head. You know, I wish we would have... Uh, had the speed and, and the focus that we did today and yesterday last week um, because now I feel like we're, we're, we're fighting and we're strong right now. Um, you know, there is four days left at the same, uh, same part of the desert that, you know, helped me last year. So hopefully we can uh, somewhere pull out some time. Um, you know, there's, there's still four days, as I said, and uh, I think a lot of things are going to happen. A lot of things are going to change. Um, I think everyone now has used tires, uh, tire cuts are going to be a factor. Um, bike fatigue, rider fatigue, everything's going to start playing in. Um, you know, people are getting antsy. The finish is really close, but uh, it's not that close in kilometers. So with four days left, uh, let's just try to keep the focus and push. A lot of insight there into his mental state at the race as it goes on. Um, smoked after a marathon stage, I'm sure, but he's uh, he's he's kicking himself a little bit from not um, sinking with the road book and the navigation and the speed in the beginning stages where he lost a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, it's it's taken these guys a week to really get in sync with the road book, yeah. figure out, you know, get in a rhythm. And it, it's tough. He's probably, again, kicking himself for a little bit of that strategy move that they played on, um, on I think it was stage four. Yeah. Maybe they could have waited a little longer and just kind of let the race come to them, but they tried to, uh, they tried to change it up and, you know, if it had worked out, they would have they would have been looking really good right now, but yep. it didn't work out. So he's got a little more of a deficit to make up. Yep, they tried some strategy. Um, unfortunately, the day after that, he lost some time. You know, getting getting hung up in some waypoints, and um, he's got time to make up still. But he's chipping away slowly. Tomorrow should be a a day where he can maybe hopefully make up a little more time and keep moving forward. Um, you know, he's right behind his teammate Bereda in 16th. Honda's really got a stacked top 10. I mean, they got Nacho in the lead or and, uh, you know, then Benavides, who had a little bit of a time loss today, then Bereda, then Brayback. Like, they're, they're looking good. But Benavides had a little bit of an issue today. Yeah, I mean, Honda's Honda's looking strong. Uh, you know, they've they've got a powerful team and and a good. No matter which way the strategy goes, they have someone In on that end of it. Yep. So, you know, they played it really well. Yeah, four uh, guys in the top six. Yep, yep. So KTM, their you know their main contenders are are up there too. You know, yeah. you have Sam and we have Toby that are that are in the top. You know, basically on the podium right now. So. Yep. Filling out the podium, um, and then a little further back, there's there's Daniel Sanders, who's the rookie, who's just kind of 
hanging <laughs> out there. It out. And, yeah. I mean, you know, he could get a lucky break and you know, he's not too far off where, uh, where Ricky is at this point. Yep. Um, a couple things that we're probably going to see and Ricky alluded to it a little bit is we're probably going to see some more failures. And we had another engine failure on a, I think it was a Yamaha today with Franco Kaimi. His bike just quit. We're going to see some tire failures or some other stuff going down and yep. that can affect these guys in the top six, seven, just like it can affect anybody else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, it's terrible to see the guy go out with an engine failure, but you know, he was running strong and yeah. it looks like his, his Yamaha let go. Right. Uh, very, very unfortunate. The other unfortunate thing was, uh, Xavier de Sultre. Right. We, um, he crashed out today. It sounded like he had a pretty hard crash and, um, you know, they, they are lifting him out. I think he's, he's in good condition. He's okay, but. Sounds like he's know. beat up really bad. It's got some pain, but didn't lose consciousness and, you know, his race is over and that's too bad, but hopefully he's just as healthy as he can be. We've been, you know, really impressed watching him ride and he was that sign of wild guard up there, make, mixing it up with those guys and putting in some good times. Yeah. It's always great to see a guy that's, you know, playing, playing the consistent game and, and ends up leading the rally overall. And, yeah, you know, we're, uh, we're bummed to, to lose him. He's definitely a factor and, and a good support system for the KTM guys. Right. He's on that Husqvarna support team and really, really was a nice key component there. Yeah. And, uh, he was, you know, top Husqvarna. So he was running in front yeah. of the two factory riders, which. Yeah. Again, looked like they lost some time today too. Um, we haven't heard exactly who maybe stopped to help Xavier yet, um, on the course or to make sure he was okay. And that, you know, that, that eats up minutes of your day. Yeah, that can, that can play into it too. You know, anytime a rider crashes on the stage, you're, you know, you're kind of required as a, as another rider to stop and right. pr- press the rescue button. Um, what the, what the organization does there is then they, they credit you your time back. Gotcha. But your time back, your time won't come back until, uh, that evening. And it usually just goes on to your general time. It won't go onto the stage. So you still start in the same position. You finished the stage, Mm -hmm. but they will credit you back time in the general. So that could be a factor if, if maybe Quintanilla or Benavides or one of those guys stopped. Yeah. Or Bereda said that he was affected by it. I don't yep. know if that means he was stopped or not, but yeah, I don't know if he saw the crash, if he stopped, if he, you know, it, it kind of throws you out of your rhythm a little bit, this and that. But then you also, we've seen guys, um, use that to their advantage. Right. So they'll stop for several minutes. They'll work on their bikes. They'll, they'll stop to help someone knowing they're going to get time back. Uh, okay. maybe as a strategy to have a different starting position the following day. Gotcha. So it doesn't affect your stage finish, but you still get the time back as if you were finishing higher in the stage rankings. Yeah. Mm, I mean, gotcha. I remember geez, 2011, um, one of the Yamaha guys crashed really bad. Yeah. Mark Coma stopped and pressed the button and then immediately started working on his bike. And he worked on his bike for a while and he stayed and waited and waited and made yep. sure the helicopter got there and then stayed a little bit longer after the helicopter was already there and right okay got moving and you know so it it happens that that's another that's just another card you can play sure and kind of the the wily guys know how to know how to play those cards it's a strange uh strange strategy but also a cool unwritten rule that you stop when you see your fellow racer down and help him any way you can that yeah. could be hitting the come help me button on the on the bike. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, sometimes you just stop, hit the button, and then get back in the race because you don't want to, yeah, you know, sure. lose position on the road. Sure. Right. But, you know, in the end, it, it, it is kind of a rule that you have to stop for, for someone that you see down. Uh, someone I want to hear from is Sam Sunderland, just because he seems to be the one that's holding on to that consistent fight. And I don't know, I could see him winning this race because of it. He's yeah. going to have to win a stage to gain some time. He's six minutes or so out. He's going to have to win something to get those times back. But at this yeah, point, I mean, he can kind of hang out and pick the stage he wants know, to win if he's got the speed. If, yeah, if he has the speed and, you know, there's there's a possibility that he could just play the consistent game all the way through and watch the other guys lose time. Yeah, you never know. All right, let's hear from Sam after today's stage eight um, bikes and everybody's beat up after that marathon stage. Let's see what he has to say. Yeah, you know, it looks like my bike's bad, but if you saw the terrain I've been through, she's looking quite good. I mean, uh, since two days with the same tires and wheels and no service, maybe around 1,600 kilometers. So, yeah, I've got a big uh, dent in my front rim, but I'm sure quite a few of us have because uh, the speed's really fast. And, you know, you look down at the roadbook to try and navigate, and it's just normal that you miss uh, some rocks every now and again. Yeah, you know, look, um, I'm just trying to take it each day as it comes. We've got a long way to go. Really difficult race. The pace is uh, super high and the guys are doing a great job opening the stage or so. So um, just uh, keep trying to do my best, you know, and uh, see where we end up. The organization tried to slow you down with uh, with the tire regulation, uh, with a uh, tricky navigation, but it seems that you are still... Yeah, you know, there's there's so many guys that are doing a professional job, you know, away from the race now with the teams and, and training and navigation. So not so many guys making mistakes. And yeah, like I say, they're doing a great job opening. And also the nature of the terrain, you on a lot of the stages, you still need to keep a close eye on your own navigation because like all through this last 50, 60 K, so many tracks and it's uh, easy to... Not you don't see their tracks often, you know, so you have to find your own way. But no, I feel good, and uh, I rode with Skyler today and um, had some fun. So yeah, just uh, another day done. Wow, fun listening to him talk about um, that navigation and how good everybody's getting at it. And I think that's something that's changed this year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's been that's been brewing for a while, and now you know we're really seeing that work that. I think he was referring to obviously Nacho and Ricky yeah. opening the stage. Yep. Yep. Um, very complimentary to those guys and to the work that they've done here in the US with with Jimmy Lewis and with Johnny Campbell and mm-hmm. it's um you know it's interesting to see our our little crew here kind of changing the way that Rally's working. Yeah, Toby's complimented them. Sam's now stepping up. Um he dodged the tire question a little bit there, but um I think he's just happy to get the stage over with his tires. Um, nobody's nobody's pumped on the tire rule. We already know that. Um, Sixteen hundred kilometers in the last two days. Ooh. Yeah. Well, the same you know, I think Sam's one of the guys that's been been managing his tires probably the best. Right. And so if any if it's going to play into anyone's favor, it's probably him. Yeah. True. And you know the the consistency that he's been showing is is pretty incredible. And you know it's it's going to be interesting to see if he can turn it up now. Yes, you've been playing this consistent game for so long and you start to lose your intensity. So 
is he does he have the intensity to turn it up on stage 11 when he really needs to right that's going to be really fun to watch i'm actually really excited about stage 10 because i'm going to be watching that to see who plays that game to set them up for stage 11 and to me people like ricky and skylar they don't they don't have a lot of time to play with they have to gain time and if they're confident they can lead out or be in the top two or three stage 11 and still gain time on people and just hope those guys have an issue like it's gonna have to be more of a desert race at that point you're like i'm just leaving these guys in the dust and i'm gonna hope hope that they can't keep up yeah ricky has to go at this point yeah he has to win tomorrow right there's there's no question he has to try to win tomorrow he has to gain time on everybody yep and I mean, he's capable of it. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's uh, going to be some really rocky terrain and Ricky's really at home and comfortable in the rocks. Um, you know, some of the other guys maybe aren't as experienced in riding that kind of stuff. So yep. I think it, it's set up perfectly for him to, to start making some moves and really he has to be looking at getting on the podium uh, yeah. and just focusing on winning stages. Yeah. I think we're going to see a start of a separation of this top 10 is going to fragment down into top five guys in the next couple stages that have any chance of winning this thing. Yep. I think that if, if Ricky doesn't win tomorrow, if he doesn't put some time on it, then it's going to be pretty tough for him to make it happen. Yep. Same with Skyler. Right. Skyler's got to go. I, I, I feel like he's in a little different situation because he's already exceeded expectations and he is yep. in a position where he just needs to, to get it in and not make any mistakes, not go out of the rally um, and get a good solid top 10 finish. Yep. He's in great spot for that. I could see him taking advantage of other people's mistakes or issues and really sneaking into that top five pretty quickly in these next couple of stages. If something happens, I mean, if Beretta has a tire issue, if, uh, you know, Toby Price's zip ties fall off the next time he needs to use them, like all that stuff is still coming up. There's four more days of this stuff happening. Yep, still a factor, but you know, in the end, I mean, Skyler is is racing for the opportunity to to come back and race again. Yeah, he's 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 racing for the future. So he has he has more to lose than gain at this point. Right. He doesn't want to hang it out too far, or we don't want him to hang it out too far and cost a finish. Exactly. But if he can get a good, you know, top seven, top five finish, even you know, he's in ha- even has a shot at getting on the podium, then. He's almost guaranteed a ride, and yeah, you know the the way I see it shaking out is you know if if, if Skyler has a good solid finish, um, he's way way ahead of the two factory Husqvarna riders right now, and yeah, he's looking a lot better. So right, I know that they've been looking for an American on that team, and you know Skyler might be our our guy. Yeah, he's um uh, he's been holding it together really well. He's shown some maturity. And it's fun to watch him race, for sure. Yep, yep. So uh, really, really exciting stuff for for the two Americans in the uh, in the top ten. Yeah, very good. We only lost one. Poor Andrew Short, but what a great interview yesterday! And he really set up that penultimate stage. And he knows right now what's going to happen. I bet he's sitting at home in Texas just figuring it out. Yeah, I think we need to maybe get uh, Andrew on for stage 11 to break that one down. And yeah, maybe maybe our stage 10 show, get his predictions going into stage 11 to see exactly what he thinks is going to happen. That would be good. So stage nine tomorrow. Yeah, it's not it's, an insignificant stage to try to win. It's a big one. It's got 465 kilometers of specials to test. That's yep. 
290 miles. It's a loop stage. We know it's going to be really rocky, quite hard on tires, yep. challenging. So that's gnarly. Yep. And these guys are still beat. Like the marathon stage is over. Yeah, they have their mechanics now, but that thing's going to take its toll on them for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, they woke up the last two mornings at 3.30 in the morning, so back-to-back, and then they've been on the bike over 700 kilometers for two days in a row. Which is part of the reason we don't have anybody on the phone today, is we're not even calling them at this point. Yeah, they got to the the bivouac today, and um, side effect of the marathon, of the motorhomes being allowed to go to the marathon bivouac is the motorhomes weren't there yet. Their service guys, the the teams were there, the mechanics were there, but the motorhomes were still a good hour, two hours behind the riders today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see them, they're sleeping on the ground, they're doing what they can to get rest, they're all tired. Wow. And we kind of thought better than try to bug those guys on it. Yeah, if we want to talk today. to these guys later, we're going to give them the day off. But we did grab some good sound bites. They've been great to us so far, so I'm sure we're going to catch up to them. After stage nine, it's going to be... It's going to be a decisive stage. We're going to see some people hanging it out, trying to win this stage. And I'm excited to watch that. Um, got a couple questions about refueling strategies on the internet. And we're wondering, they place fueling stations and fuel fill-ups where they know bikes need them. But how does the strategy go into place when you're out there? Do you always fill your bike up with as much gas as you can get in it every time, like I would in Mexico? No, the the top guys have it all calculated out already. Gotcha. The teams do the calculations. We heard uh, Stefan talk about it a little bit. Yeah, uh, technical manager for Red Bull KTM's interview was really insightful into how they plan yeah. all this stuff. So they do all the fuel calculations. They know exactly how much fuel to put in at each refueling. Wow. So gotcha. if it's if it's a short a short section between the refueling and they know there's a fuel station on the liaison, then yep. they will, they'll go a little bit light. Really. They want to run the bikes as light as they can. Yeah. Just for handling purposes. Yeah. I mean, you know, 28, 29 liters of fuel Oof. is, is a lot of fuel. You yep. think that's, that's nine gallons of fuel. Yep. So 70 pounds. Yeah. That's it, it also makes the bikes really difficult to set up because you have a 70 pound differential between light and or between empty and full. So you having a monkey on your back when you're out there. That's bananas. A big, monkey, uh-huh. big monkey. Monkeys and bananas. Um, so there are fueling stations on the liaison. So the way to the race, they fuel up in the morning when they leave the stage. Um, there's during the special, there's fueling neutralization points in the middle of it as well. Yeah. So they'll have a organization fuel stop similar yep. to what we talked about with Andrew getting yep. the water in it. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> Basically, you come in, you're off the clock for 15 minutes. Okay. Then you refill your bike. And in the past, you were able to work on your bike, right. eat some food, do whatever you needed to do. Now, apparently, you're not allowed to touch your bike, so they just yep. have to hang out. Grab wait, a snack. Grab a snack, whatever they can, and then they restart the race after 15 minutes. It's gotcha. also a good opportunity to see where you are in the race, to see if you've caught guys, if I guys see. are catching you. Gives you a little pace uh, calculator. Yeah, as, as best you as you can calculate. You know, yeah, if you yeah. know where the guys started behind you, and you know where the guys started in front of you. Then you can kind of judge, like check hey, your catching, watch and be like, "That guy's way behind me now." Yeah, I, I'm catching I that guy, or those guys haven't shown up yet. Gotcha. But just to be clear, there's no communication. Nobody has a radio with their team. Nobody has, uh, you know, a timing system on their bike that shows their average speed and placement in live format during the race. You're still navigating 
basically, and your time is managed like in your head. Yep. That's, I mean, the idea is that it's supposed to be as pure as possible. They're not supposed to be able to carry a smartphone with any kind of GPS functionality on their, on their body during the, during their special. Yep. People, we, we say GPS sometimes, like he hit his face on the GPS, but really what that GPS is, is to track them, not for them to use for any guidance or any GPS purposes. It's like a one-way GPS. We see what they're doing and the organization sees their GPS, but they don't see it. The only thing they see is to find that waypoint, right? Yeah. So it, it works as a, as a kind of a scorekeeping device. It keeps yeah. their distance, their speed. Um, yeah. it, it tracks whether they hit the waypoints or not. And mm-hmm. then Generally, on on most of the big waypoints, they're they're roughly a you know one kilometer diameter. Yeah, like a like a zone you have to get a in. A zone to break that you it. have to go yeah. in, and so once you get within that within that waypoint, within that circle, you then penetrate you can, that circle. Then an arrow pops up on the screen, and that arrow guides you to the center of that waypoint. Correct. And once you get to the center, then your mileage automatically recalculates. Mm-hmm. So it resets your mileage and then you know where you are in your roadbook and you can continue on. Gotcha. That's your signal that you've done your job. Pin it to the next one, buddy. Yeah. But you're not just following that GPS until mm-hmm. you get within that, you know, 800 meter zone. Right. And that's where the mistakes happen is getting to that zone. Yeah, exactly. Or we've seen in the past people circling around inside that zone and it doesn't trigger. They're like, it's not here. It's not here. It's not here. It's not here. You know, they zigzag around in this zone and they, maybe they just missed it. Yeah, I mean, there's there can be programming problems with the right. with the GPS. The coordinates could be off by a number, and then you know, there's I've seen it where the waypoint is up on a hillside and you can't get to it. Yeah, or um, off in a valley somewhere, and you're on a road. Normally, those are just kind of mistakes by the organizer and mm-hmm. the, the you know recon team. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to stage nine. I'm looking forward to stage ten. I'm looking forward to everything. Yep, it's going to be a really exciting couple of days. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's time to, uh, do our picks for tomorrow and then should we not work? Let's not talk about our picks yesterday. Yeah. Jesse got beat again. I just think looking back as a racer, you're never supposed to look in the back, never look in the rear view mirror, always race ahead. I don't want to look backwards at my picks. I just want to look forward. That's what you say when you lose. Loser talk. (laughs) Quinn worked me again. He got Toby Price second, Kevin Benavidez fifth, Daniel Sanders in seventh, and Walkner was his wild card in eighth. My poor picks. I got Price in second, then I got Bereda in sixth, then I got Adrian Van Beveren in 13th, who I'm never picking again. <laughs> Watch him win tomorrow. Yeah. And then I got Skyler in ninth, so I got just worked again. All right, so who you got today? Um, I got Ricky Ray back today. Taking that one out of the gate. All right. Because you said he has to win. And yep. I trust you for yep. some dumb reason. He's my he's my winner. Okay. I got Sam in second. Sunder, the Sunder dog. Yep. In second. And then um I got Price in third. Ooh. Okay. I think, I think this is gonna be a four or five man race in, in two stages, and I think that's setting up right now. You got that. All right. So I, I'm going for Benavides, Brabeck, and Sunderland. And then TP is my wild card. The wild card. I forgot about that. Yep. So hang on, I'm making notes here. 
quick and decisive. That's yeah, how, that was that's how that was very today. decisive. Well, I'm going to put Nacho in as my wild card because I think he can get fourth place leading. In fact, he might just go tape to tape. He might lead tomorrow and win. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be pretty incredible. We'll see. We'll see how this shakes out. <laughs> my we? confidence isn't high enough to put him in my picks, but for Nacho's sake. My picks are generally pretty terrible, so he's probably got a better chance of winning now. Just don't jinx these guys. I mean, I'm, I haven't jinxed anybody. They're going to be, these guys are going to be calling in and, and saying, hey, Jesse, just don't, don't, don't pick, pick me. me, please. Yeah. Don't, don't Van Beveren me. <laughs> don't, don't do me dirty like you did, Adrian. Yeah. Well, super oh. fanboy. Well, Van whatever. Beveren fanboy over here. I just like seeing a lot of different bikes up there. Right, right. And now we've kind of got two factories dominating yeah which is cool it's better than one this is true we have a race on our hands so we do have a race on our hands everybody tune in tomorrow as we get down and dirty with stage nine's results uh and some more interviews and more goodness from dakar rally daily we're having a lot of fun good stuff we'll see you guys tomorrow bye